reading of the Word of God, Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, you can follow along there in your Bible, or if you have the um, outline, you can many of the verses you'll find right there in your outline this morning. But uh, we're in Philippians chapter number 2, and as we're preparing for the scripture reading this morning, we're concluding this uh, series. I've enjoyed this series. I hope that God has used it in your life on this matter of having our new life in Christ. And it's, it's really been a series about the doctrine of salvation and really the ramifications of it, the results of now that we have new life. And so uh, we want to we see this this morning. Somebody help uh, her this morning. Help Miss Irene there, Miss Mickey, if you don't mind. And so uh, we, we want to think about this. How does the new life show itself in the life of a, a believer? And so as we look at this portion in Philippians chapter number 2, the culmination of this study, the outcome of the new life is this, that we are to give the word of life to others. Uh, God has, has blessed us with this new life. And how many of you this morning are saved? You know Christ is your Savior. If your hand's up this morning, how many of you have a desire that God would use you to help others to be saved, right? And God wants to use our life. And we're going to see that this morning from Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And let's pray this morning. God, I pray that you'd help us to realize the responsibility that you've given to us now that we have this new life in Christ. Help us to share that truth with others so that they can have new life as we have received it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the giving of his life. And Lord, I pray that if we will be faithful in our days, that at the end of our life, when we look back over it and we stand in your presence, that we'll hear those words, well done. Now, God, bless your word this morning. And help me only say that which you'd have me to say. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated this morning. The beginning of the new life, salvation, happens internally and it happens instantaneously. You see, it's when somebody prays and receives Christ as their personal Savior. For me, that was on January 22nd, 1984. And as God has been in my life these 35 years, I realized that God, He has a plan for my life, just like He does for years. And God's plan is not only that something would be going on inwardly, but that there would be an 
outward manifestation of what's taken place in our hearts. In other words, the living out of our life as a Christian. The hymn writer and pastor of days gone by by the name of John Newton, he wrote these words, I am not what I might be, I am not what I ought to be, I am not what I wish to be, I am not what I hope to be, but I thank God that I am not what I once was, and I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think all of us that are saved this morning could say that along with John Newton. Really what John Newton was saying was this, I am not where I want to be, but I am thankful that God has changed me and God is the one that is making a great difference in my life. And certainly we know that God is working on our behalf. I love what Paul wrote to those in the book of Romans chapter 12 in verse number two. Look at this verse. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed. Well, how do we do that? The Bible says in that verse, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God has a plan for our lives, and it's this matter of transformation. It's the work of God in our lives. The word transformation is what the new life is all about. It's this matter of remodeling or this matter of a makeover. I, I mean, boy, every time you turn on the TV, I, I know my wife loves to watch all these makeover shows, you know? They'll take some rundown place and they'll take some place that hasn't had any attention done to it and they'll do a complete makeover. Do you know that that is what God wants to do in your life? Is God wants to change you into the image of his own dear son, Jesus. God doesn't want us to look like the world. God doesn't want us to act like the world. God wants us to be his child, one that he is well pleased with. And what does he do? He transforms our lives. He takes us from that which is the old and into something that which is new. It's the work of God, the transformation that we are renewed by our mind, by the word of God. So how does God do this? God does it in us and God does it through us. See, God wants to work in your life. So how can your life, the testimony of your life, that you have new life in Christ, how can that testimony reflect the inner working of the Spirit of God in your life and through your life? Three ways this morning. First of all, through the work of the believer. Go back to our passage in Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will, it's God working to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now when you think about what Paul is saying here, notice he's referring to the believers in Philippi and God has preserved his word to our generation. He's referring to believers as the beloved. I love the term here. You know what he's doing? He's encouraging them. 
He's trying to encourage them in the Lord. And, and notice that as he talks about the work of the believer, it is something that is taking place within us. God is working in us, and God wants to work through us. So I see, first of all, this morning, a believer's inner resolve, the inner resolve in our lives. In other words, it's decisions that we, you and I, as believers, are making within ourselves. Every day, you're making decisions, and hopefully those are the right decisions, and a believer's inner resolve, notice it has a consistent obedience. You ought to want to be a child of God that is consistently obeying your heavenly Father. Again, look at verse number 12. Look how it starts. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye, notice these words, have how often obeyed? Always. See, if you're saved this morning, it's, it's not the DNA of a believer to say, Well, I'll obey God today, but not tomorrow. I'll obey God when I'm in church, but when I'm not in church, I'm not going to obey God. See, one that is saved, a believer, has an inner resolve that he is consistently obeying God. Love the songwriter who wrote, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And he says here that they not only were obeying, but they always obeyed. That means that they were coming under authority in their lives. That authority that they were coming under was God. It was God's authority in their lives. There were always, these were people that were always obedient. And I love how he puts it. Here's what he says. Whether I'm there or not, whether I'm present or absent, he says, you're always obeying the Lord. And listen, folks, that ought to be said about all of us. Whether your mom and dad are at home or whether they're on vacation, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Whether the pastor's at church or he's gone, you should always be doing what a, a Christian, a believer is to be doing. Every believer should determine that they are going to do the will of God as God reveals his will to them. And when God speaks to our hearts, look, we have one option, and that is that we need to obey him no matter what, no matter where, no matter what is involved, if it is God that is instructing, if it is God's will for our lives, then we must obey him. I heard a story about this. There was a, an angry woman and she, she was, I mean, she was steaming as she walked into the bakery and she got into the bakery. She asked where the baker was and somebody pointed her to a man down, down on the other side of the store and he, she went up to him and she said, I sent my son into this store. He came into your shop and I sent him in here to buy two pounds of cookies. And when my son got home, he only had one pound of cookies left in the bag. And the baker looked at this very upset woman, very calmly he said to her, Ma'am, he said, you left your son alone with two pounds of cookies? He said, I don't think I need to check my scale in the bakery. I think you need to weigh your son. Now, look, what Paul was saying here is he's writing to those in Philippi. And God is instructing us today is whether he's there or not, that they're obeying and doing what they're supposed to do. I think America today as a whole, as a nation, 
I think America is dying because Christians act a certain way on Sunday and then they forget how to act on Monday and Tuesday. Look, if it's a good thing to read your Bible on Sunday, it's a good thing to read your Bible on Monday. If it's a good thing to be polite in the house of God, it's a good thing to be polite at the dinner table at home. If it's a good thing to be a Christian on Sunday, then it's a good thing to live that way every day of your lives. There ought to be a consistent obedience, and that is the resolve, the inner resolve of a believer, but not only a consistent obedience, but I see a commanded obedience also. Go back to verse number 12. Look what it says. My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, look at the last part of the verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you take the time to look this up, here's what you're going to find. This is not God requesting. This is not God asking. This is God commanding us as believers that we need to be, as it says here, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the word work out, that's not a popular word for a lot of us. Working out. But that's not exactly, it carries a little bit of that. It does mean to exercise. It means to perform. It means to demonstrate. In other words, God wants us, and you find this in the Word of God, to be exercising ourselves as a Christian unto godliness. In other words, living a holy life, living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. The force of this verb here, to work out, is the nature of it is a continual action. Not just working out one time or the day you got saved, but in other words, a continual ongoing working out of your salvation. Because we understand as we think about salvation, this is not working to be saved. A lot of times people think that. I'm working to be saved. You cannot, you cannot earn salvation. It's not something you can pay for. It's not some, a way you can live to be saved. In other words, we need to understand that according to the Bible, salvation is of God, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not working to be saved. Salvation is not earned. This is working out what God has worked into us. See, God has saved us. Are you saved this morning? If you're saved by the grace of God, then this working out is working out what God has worked into us. A real faith is demonstrated by works. Think about this. Uh, here's a great illustration. How many of you like peanut butter? Okay, keep your hand up. All the people with your hands up are saved people. All right, if your hand's not up, you're not saved. Now, peanut butter is, I, 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 I'm telling you, if, if you have a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter and some jelly, you're set. You know? I mean, they put you on a deserted island. As long as you have peanut butter and jelly, and, and bread, you're, you're good to go. Now, my wife hates peanut butter. One of these days, she's going to get saved. But, you know, I'm the kind of person that when I get peanut butter, I mean, I take the jar, 
and I open it up. You can ask my wife, and I get the knife, and I don't get bread. I just scoop it in there like that, right like that. I'm telling you what, forget the jelly. Just give me the peanut butter. I'm good to go. Just give me a jar of this stuff. And, and you know, now when you think about this, this is a great illustration about working out your salvation. When you buy a jar of peanut butter, is the jar full when you buy it? I don't know where you're buying your peanut butter from, but when I buy a jar, it's full, all right? Usually you open it up, and there's, there's usually a, a foil thing on top, and you got to pull that foil thing off, and then, oh, the smell just comes out. Mm. Oh, I love it. My wife, after I have peanut butter, she'll say, don't kiss me, you know? And, and so I'll open that up, and, and listen, when, when it's full, now watch this, when it's full, I don't have, there's no effort at all. The peanut butter's like right there to the rim. I take that knife and I just start scooping it out. Mm. And I'll sit there in one sitting. The jar like this, this is like, this is like a Dixie cup of peanut butter for me, you know? I mean, I could eat this in one setting, you know? Just give me a tall glass of cold milk. I'm good to go, you know? A little chocolate to dip in there with it, you know? And, and so here I am. I'm eating it, but watch this. When the jar gets like that, I got to work a little harder to get the peanut butter out, right? I mean, I got to, I got to take, I got to get, I got to get me a knife because I can't use my finger anymore because my, my finger's not long enough. And, and I got to get a knife and I got to get down and, and, and I'm telling you, 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 you come to my house, you look at my peanut butter jars, man, I have scraped the plastic off the inside of the jar. You know what I'm doing? I'm working it out. It was full when I got it. But I, look, I want to get every last bit of it. And that's what he's saying here is that when you got saved, when God saved you, he says, I want you to be working out your salvation. I want you to be exercising now that you are saved. God wants us to understand that, that real faith is demonstrated by our works. God has given us some things. For instance, when you got saved, guess what you now have? You have the presence of God in your life. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. God's presence is there. His Spirit is there. And we must, as we have God's presence, as we have God's Spirit, we must be exercising or working out our salvation. God has given us the ability. Think about this now. He's given you and I that are saved. We can, according to the Bible, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Do you realize that? Where's God today? He's in heaven. And you're saved, right? So according to the word of God, you can come into the presence of God. You can come boldly under the throne of grace according to the word of God. And as we think about that, even though God's given us the ability to come to the throne of the grace, we have to go there, don't we? See, it's one thing to know we can go there, but it's another to actually go there. That's, that's the same as working out our, 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 our salvation. God has given us his word, but look, we have to open it up, right? I mean, if you carry this around underneath your arm, that's one thing, but when you open it up, it makes a difference in your life. It's a working out. Look, when you think about the Christian life, what is it? It is a spiritual discipline. How many of you find it hard to be consistent in your Bible reading? Just be honest this morning. My hand's up. How many of you find it difficult to be consistent in your prayer life? You know, look, folks, these are spiritual disciplines. That's why the Bible says 
that you need to be working out, continually working out your salvation. In other words, it's got to be an exercise. You've got to be performing it in your life. People, a lot of times, when they think about discipline, they think about physical discipline. They think about going to the gym, and they think about their health. Look, but as much as I think it's good to be healthy physically, do you know it's more important to be healthy spiritually? People spend all their time working on the physical, and they neglect the most important thing, the spiritual aspect of their life. People focus on, on the things that, that, that really one day are not going to matter. Now, again, I'm not saying neglect your body. I'm just saying that you need to understand that the spiritual life, working out your salvation, look what James writes in James 2. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, he's talking about working out. There needs to be a balance, is what James is telling us. A balance between the physical and the spiritual exercises in our lives. So he says, work out your own salvation. And notice these words, with fear and trembling. What are those words about? He's talking about we need to be striving with humility of heart as we're working out our own salvation. We need to recognize that in our lives as Christians, now that we are saved, we have new life in Christ, one day you're going to stand before God. And can I tell you, listen to me, and I mean this with all sincerity, when you stand before the Lord one day, there's something way more important when you stand before God than standing on a scale. And that is, what have you done for Christ? You see, a believer's inner resolve is that they have a consistent obedience and that they understand that it is commanded of God that we be working out our own salvation, that every day of our lives we need to be exercising ourselves unto that which is good, that which is godly in our lives. Are you with me this morning? See, we, we understand that from Philippians chapter number two, the work of the believer is that there needs to be an inner resolve. But I like the second part of this in verse 13. We see God's inner renewal that takes place when we have that resolve. Look what it says in verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, when it comes to spiritual exercise, here's the best part. We have a coach. Now, some people are very disciplined. They can work out by themselves, and they might, they might do well with that. But most people, they need a coach. They need somebody that's going to say, okay, push that bar up one more time. One more push-up. Uh, one more pull-up. Whatever it is. In our lives, spiritually speaking, guess what? When we think about the fact that God wants us to be working out our own salvation that when we do it, we have a coach, and that coach, is his name is Jesus. How God gives us the will, but God also gives us the desire. Think about this this morning. Nobody made you come to church. Well, my wife made me come. But other than that, no one made you come to church. You came of your own will. You came today because God put that desire in your heart to get up this morning, to go to the house of God, to worship God this morning. See, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do 
of His good pleasure. You and I, a lot of times we think about how we can do things for ourselves. We have a desire to please ourselves. But that desire to be here this morning is not one that is a fleshly desire because it is something that you desired that was right. It is the Lord that's working within us. God is operating in our lives. And if God is going to do anything, God's power is absolutely necessary if our lives are ever going to accomplish anything of lasting value. Look what the Bible says in John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, and say the rest of this verse, for without me you can do nothing. So as we understand this morning, look, God's inner renewal, it is his will, his desire. God will encourage us to witness. Well, how does he do that? God will help us with the right words. God will encourage us to, to have the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, and then God will enable us. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. See, God's giving you the desire, and then God gives you the ability. Look at it again. Both to will and to do of His good pleasure. I mean, you know what the human nature is, right? We oftentimes want to do those things which pleases us. But God says, look, your life shouldn't be about pleasing you. It should be about pleasing me. See, God saved us to please him. The purpose of life is to please God. Look at Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So our work is for him, what the believer does, the desire that God gives to us, everything we do is for him. Only what's done for Christ will last. Are you with me this morning? So when you think about the testimony of the believer, look, you have new life, and one way to identify that is through the work of the believer. But notice, secondly, what about the witness of the believer? Look in verse 14 of our passage this morning. The Bible kind of takes a turn here after saying it is God that both works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 14 says these words, do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. Now these are, these are interesting words here. When I, when I read these words and I was going through this passage, it only makes sense that if, if God is working in me, then God will work through me, right? If God is working in me, God will work through me. I, I bought one of those little uh, sprayers that you pump up, the little bottle, and it's got a sprayer because I'm going to tell you something. I am determined I'm going to beat the weeds in my yard. I'm determined. So I bought one of these little spray bottles, and I read the directions, you know, and, and that's something that most guys are allergic to, but... I tried to do the right thing. So I said to my wife, I said, these directions are very, they're very difficult to follow. And so best I could, I put it together. I filled it up with the solution and I pumped it up a bunch of times as much as I could. And, and I got ready, I went out there and I pushed a little button and nothing came out. 
And I thought, what in the world? So I looked at it a little bit. I went back. I looked at the directions thinking, okay, what did I miss? I took it back apart, and there was this little itty-bitty piece that they had put on the end of the hose that was supposed to be taken out. I could have pumped all day. I could have held that button all day, but when I took that little bitty thing off the hose and I put it back on there and I put it back together and I went outside, I sprayed like crazy on those weeds. I baptized every one of them a couple times. I'm going to tell you something. God wants to work in us, but God wants to work through us. God saved you. He's given you a new life. And so when there is this new life, the witness of the believer, watch this, is that we will have, first of all, helpful words. When you get saved, you know what you ought to have? A different vocabulary. God ought to change not only your heart, but what's coming out of your heart. The things that you say. God has called us to do things without negative words. We live in a world full of murmurings and disputings. Every time you turn on the news, People are constantly rioting. They're arguing about things. They're debating. God, deliver us from this next presidential election. They want to debate and argue about this and that, all to become the commander-in-chief of our country. And I think about this world that we live in. Look, for Christians, for the believer, if God is working in you, then it will start to show itself outwardly. It's going to come out in your life. Look what Matthew 15, 19 says. Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. In other words, when God is not at work in the heart of a person, there will be things that will be said that ought not to be said. Murmurings, disputings. I love what Mark Twain said. Don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of the people don't care, and the other 20% probably think you deserve it. When somebody is truly saved, you know what kind of words they're going to have? Helpful words. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. What kind of words come out of your mouth? Are they helpful words? You see, when somebody is saved, they're not only going to have helpful words, but watch this. They're going to have an honest testimony. Look at verse 15. He says in the next verse, that she may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, when you look at this, he's describing here a clean life. When he uses the word blameless, He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about a Christian that has true character, that has innocence of character. When he uses the word harmless, he's talking about having a sincere testimony, that you're honest before people. The character of a child of God should be above that of blame, and it should be above criticism. Philippians 1.10, that you may approve that with the things that are excellent that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. So look, if we're, if we're going to have a, a, the right witness as a believer, then understand that we, we're going to have helpful words, we're going to have an honest testimony, one that there, there's the exhibition of a clean life, but also notice in verse number 15 that there will be a clear light. 
Not only a clean life, but a clear light. Look back in the verse. He says in verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless as the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now when he says these words, crooked and perverse nation, it's describing the world of the Philippians back in that day. In other words, the Philippians were surrounded by paganism. They were surrounded by wickedness. The word crooked means bent, means curved. The actual word is the word scolios, where we get our English word scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. And he says, look, I understand ye Philippians, and even us today as believers, that our witness, that we're living in a world that is crooked, it's bent towards sin. God says, I want you to be my people. And he says, I want my people to be a straight people. I don't want them to be crooked. He wants us to have a testimony that's right. The word perverse means corrupt. We live in a world that's crooked, that's corrupt. God wants us to shine for him in this crooked and perverse nation that he's describing. And look, again, if you turn on the news, Hey, it doesn't take you long to realize the world that we're living in, just like Paul's world back in this day, that the world is a crooked place. Today, you look at how abortion is legal. Drugs are legal. Immorality is legal. There are so many things that have been legalized, and God sent us into this world as he saved us to be straight, to have the right testimony. Can I tell you this? Listen, as you go to work tomorrow, God sent you to that job to be a light in the darkness. God gave you that job. God put you in that family. God gave you the neighbors that he gave to you so that you could shine and you could be straight for God. You could be his light. Listen to what Dr. Bobby Robertson said. I don't have to keep the light shining. By the way, that's God's job. Bobby Robertson just said these words. I just have to keep the bulb clean. You know what he was saying? I need to make sure my life is right with God. That my witness is what it ought to be. And when we understand how important the light is, the Bible says that Jesus described himself as the light of the world. And if we keep a blameless testimony and we keep a life that is right with God, then others will see Jesus in us and see Jesus through us. Look at Matthew 5 in your notes. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Do you see what happens? When you and I have the right kind of testimony, when our lives is the, the witness of our life is what it ought to be, that God gets all the glory out of our lives. And that's what he's saying here. Let us take every opportunity to share with others the love of God. But then notice thirdly this morning, not only the work of the believer, not only the witness of the believer, but notice the word of the believer. Go to verse 16 in our passage and we'll be done. Look at this, look at this verse. 
holding forth the what? The word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So in this verse, verse 16, the last verse this morning, is the culmination of the new life in the life of a believer. Because in verse 16, here's what we see, first of all, is we see our responsibility. And what is our responsibility? Here it is, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. This word holding forth, it means to stretch it out, to hold it out so that others might see. I think you all are familiar with this picture, the Statue of Liberty. Lady Liberty stands in the harbor, and what is she doing? She's holding forth that torch. She's saying that there's liberty for all that come to this nation. And you know, just like I look at this Statue of Liberty, and I read this passage in Philippians 2.16, it means the exact same thing. That God has saved us. God wants us to be a witness for Him. God wants every believer to hold forth the truth to this world that we live in. Just like she's holding that torch out, God wants His people to hold forth the light of liberty. Why? So that other people can find their way to Jesus. So that other people might be saved. And as Christians, it's obvious that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and we would think that the whole world should know that, and the whole world should see that, but I'm always reminded of myself, how that for three years, I sat in a church just like this. I heard the truth, I heard about the love of God, and for three years, I just could not believe that God could love me enough to save me, but I'm so glad that God finally got through to me and helped me to understand and that's what we need to be doing is telling others, hey, how do we do that? Well, our church prints what we call gospel tracts. They're just a simple, easy way, like this one here that says, what is church? And it gives a description of what the Bible says a church really is. But the most important thing is not an invitation to come to Bible Baptist Church. The most important thing is what's on the back of it. Because on the back is the truth, we call it the gospel, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how that God loves everyone, that all men are sinners, and that as a result of their sin, they will spend eternity without the Lord unless they receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And see, everywhere you go, you can hand one of these out to people. People tell me all the time as believers, well, I don't know how to talk to people. Well, then why don't you start with this? Can I give you something? Can I give you some good news? Hey, how would you like to know for sure that you can go to heaven someday? And you just hand it to them. Let them read it. Because also on the back is some information about the church, our church website. They can contact us. They can come to a service just like this. There may be somebody here this morning that God used something like this. There may be somebody here today that of the hundreds of these that we put on people's doors yesterday, that maybe you were one of those that received that. And if that's true, well, I'm glad that you're here. Some of you were probably reached because somebody shared the gospel with you through something very simple like this. But you see, that's what God wants us to do is he wants us to hold forth 
the word of truth. It's our responsibility. And the Bible says that our testimony is important, but even more important than our testimony is the word of God. Because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, when we think about the word of the believer, we have a responsibility not only to hold forth the word of life, but notice also we see our, our reward because if we are faithful to our responsibility, look what Paul says. He says that I may rejoice. He says, I want to rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Those who have let God work through them, those who are working out their salvation, those of us that are holding forth the word of life, the Bible says that we will have a reward. For Paul, that reward was is that he's going to rejoice in the day of Christ. That would be his reward, that he, had, he could rejoice because he had been faithful to the Lord. He had done what God had instructed him to do. Look at Philippians 3.14. Paul writes, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy, notice he says at the end of his life, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown, a reward, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But notice, Paul didn't stop there and say, hey, look, it's just for me because I'm the great apostle Paul. No, he goes on to write these words, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul was pressing on the upward, upward way. Paul was pressing towards the prize. He was looking forward to the reward that God had for him. And can I tell you this morning, as we, you and I, live for the Lord, and as you and I witness for the Lord, look, just like Paul said, our labor will not be in vain. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials, hey, they're going to seem small when we see him. I hope that you want to be faithful to the Lord and be a witness for the Lord and understand that we have a responsibility and that God will reward us. And we not only will rejoice in the presence of Christ, but we also will rejoice with the people of Christ. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. How many of you know somebody that died in Christ? They're already in the Lord and they've left this world. Hey, listen, someday you know what's going to happen? We're going to rejoice because we're going to be reunited with them. You see, when I think about the testimony of a believer, it's all about the work of the believer. What's going on in us in our hearts, our desire, our resolve, but it is God working in us and through us, renewing us day by day. And then I think about the witness, how that every one of us have a responsibility to be a witness for the Lord. And listen, our word, how important it is it? Because we're holding forth, not what we have to say, not what we think, but the word of life. And if we're faithful, then our testimony to the Lord will be that God will reward us one day. You see, the truth is, if you know Jesus, 
that just like me and anyone else, you have a story to tell. And the world needs to hear more and more about Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you saved today? If this was your last day on this earth, do you know for sure that you would open your eyes in the presence of Jesus? How many of you could raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I've had a time that I've put my faith in Christ. I know that heaven would be my home. Would you raise your hand this morning as a testimony that you are saved this morning? Praise the Lord for that. You can put your hands down. There may be somebody here this morning that just honestly could not raise your hand. You don't know for sure that heaven would be your home. Can I tell you this morning that as God's word is true, that Jesus gave his life so that all that believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And all you have to do this morning is to receive the gift of God. Would you accept Christ as your Savior this morning? Are you tired of trying to live your life your way? God's going to give you an opportunity, and God's word has been given out this morning, and you must respond while there is time. And if you are saved this morning, you had your hand up. You think about this message this morning. How's your resolve? Are you obeying God the way you should? Are you working out your own salvation? Are you exercising the life that God's given you? Is your life a good testimony to those around you? Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed.